apparently the occult believes that there are beings from you know outside the earth that are in the planet saturn and that <clears throat> that's something that, that something's going to happen at cern that connects cern with saturn and through a birkeland current it actually grabs these beings and brings them to earth at the same time it opens up the abyss and these angels escape and so right. there's you know it, this is all part of the satanic plan to defeat christ when christ returns in the heavens welcome to the weird christian podcast i am your host samuel delgado and this is episode 16 i interview doug woodward doug is an author speaker and researcher of biblical prophecy He's authored over 18 books on various different topics, including Mars, Mystery Babylon, and the Gog-Magog War. Our focus on this interview is on two subjects, America's connection to Babylon and the next great war in the Middle East, and CERN and its possible connection to the return of the gods. So, with no further ado, let's get weird. All right. Well, I'm ready. Start firing. Okay, good deal. Um, well, let's start with uh, your testimony. Uh, tell us a little bit about how, how, how you grew up. Um, you came to know Christ uh, sure. in your ministry now. Yeah, well, I'm one of those guys that grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my mom and dad were good Methodists, and uh, so I was uh, going to church, and you know, I got my Bible when I was 10 or 11 years old, but it was about the same time that I watched Billy Graham on television, and okay. um, you know, and, and thought, well, that's what I need to do. I need to receive Christ. Oh, well, yeah. So, so I did. So Billy Graham is technically my spiritual father. Wow. Um, and then um, let's see. So then the next major uh, thing that influenced my growth really was, um, I mean, I was a pretty normal kid, normal, you know, normal challenges growing up. Uh, but when I was, um, oh, I'd say 14, I'm trying to think 15, no, it was, it was 15, 16. Yeah, it was, um, I was 15 when I, I was thinking about how Lindsay, and I'll get to that in a second. When I was 15, I had cancer and I lost my left leg. I had a very serious form of cancer known as rhabdomyosarcoma. Wow. And the cancer, um, I had uh, doctors tell me now back, this was 1969, and doctors tell me that I had about a 10% chance to make it through the trial and by fire, basically. And wow. um, so it was uh, obviously those things, when that kind of thing happens to you, it, it uh, you know, it's a life-changing experience, literally. And yeah. uh, for me, it was. Um, I was kind of watched and monitored and ministered over by, I don't know, probably six, seven, eight ministers of different faiths that, that, uh, that I hit it off with. And they came to see me during this time. And I was in uh, the hospital something like 65 days over about a four wow. period of time. Wow. And um, so it was, it, was, uh, it was serious going basically. Yeah. And, um, uh, but uh, we made it through um, and I was uh, never had any repeating of the cancer. Um, and uh, so uh, this was when I was 15. I had gone to one year of high school at Northwest class. And you may recall the high school since you're, uh, you were from Tulsa originally. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then, but my sophomore year, I was out with the illness 
and then my junior and senior year, I uh, went back to school at, uh, at Heritage Hall, which is a, a private uh, prep school in Oklahoma City. And um, during that time, I, um, I read the Bible a lot, um, and it was a great source of strength to me because it was difficult feeling normal and accepted with some of the strangeness about me, like having the artificial leg and all that. But yeah. I managed to, to be, you know, uh, I, I excelled at, uh, at, you know, at what I was doing. I was uh, the senior class president and, um, you know, I even lettered in golf. I was still a good golfer after all that. Yeah. So got special dispensation to be able to uh, drive a golf cart. And, uh, and so I actually lettered in the sports. So, so all that was kind of great fun. Went to Oklahoma University. Uh, while there, uh, I didn't really talk about Hal Lindsey. All right, let me go back, backtrack. Hal Lindsey wrote The Late Great Planet Earth in 1970. It's when it was published, and I would have been 16. And so that book had, as it did so many uh, Christians my age, or in my sort of the baby boomer, I was sort of the tail end of the baby boomers yeah. uh, in that time frame, had a huge impact upon us. And it, it basically taught me that, whoa, history means something. We're going somewhere with all this. And uh, because, you know, I kind of didn't, you know, like there's God and there's life. And I didn't really kind of know that, that God had a plan for not just me, but a plan for the whole world and that we were heading down that direction. Yeah. And so that was, a, that was a big thing. And then in, uh, in college, um, I was associated with Young Life and with Campus Crusade for Christ and uh, became probably more, I definitely became more involved in Campus Crusade. Uh, I had a number of good friends that ended up going to Dallas Theological Seminary. And, um, and so we were all dispensationalists. And uh, although several of these guys came out of school and they weren't dispensationalists anymore, even though they had gone to Dallas. And uh, that's a long story in, a, in its own right, but they're still believers, but they were not dispensationalists. They were more of the reformed uh, point of view. And yeah. so um, but anyway, so I, but I was dispensational and, and uh, but I, I was going to go to the ministry, but for one, you know, I sort of started in as associate minister and then I was an elder in a church, but I pretty much decided to move into a secular type of, uh, position. I got into computers. It was with Burroughs, which is forerunner to Unisys. And, uh, so I did that for my career for, really 20 years by the way i apologize for my dogs right now you may you hear them barking every so often yeah, uh, my my studio is my office and it's right next to where the dogs are sitting in their in their yeah. in their crate um so uh so anyway um eventually uh after a number of years working at uh, arthur young which is the predecessor to Ernston young uh i was hired by oracle actually honeywell first then oracle and that those moved me to new england so I went from Oklahoma to New England wow. and I joined, eventually joined Microsoft and I was an executive at Oracle and an executive at Microsoft and did that for a number of years. And then after leaving Microsoft, I went back to Ernst & Young, became a, a, a partner there. Throughout this time though, I'd always been studying Bible prophecy. And, um, and so I began to write in about 2010 um, I had, you know, studied and read lots and lots of books on prophecy, as well as other kind of doctrinal things, because that was kind of as I came out of college at OU, the dispensational uh, orientation caused me to study a lot. And um, so I began to write in 2010. And uh, I've written now a total of 
18, 19 books and participated yeah. in a couple of others. Um, so major emphasis on, on Bible prophecy, but also uh, the, the books I've written most recently, three books, Rebooting the Bible, uh, parts one and parts two, and then a biography of the Christian Bible were, were not directed at Bible prophecy. They were really directed at the, the text and how yeah. we know that the Bible is the word of God. Um, the unique spin that I had on it was uh, studying the Septuagint, which was the, the Greek uh, translation of the most ancient Hebrew uh, text. And this was, it was translated, at least the Pentateuch was translated in about 280, 285 BC. And um, all of the Septuagint was translated and done by about 130 BC. And, um, and so the Septuagint was the Christian Bible for uh, the apostles. Jesus quoted it. The apostles quoted it. Um, Jesus also quoted some of it directly from Hebrew, of course. Uh, but um, the, the Greek Bible was the standard Bible for the Christian church up until really into the fifth and sixth century. And so uh, at, you know, when the Catholic church uh, began to be more powerful than the Eastern Orthodox or Eastern Catholic Church. Um, then the Latin Vulgate became a more the dominant Bible and, uh, uh, and so forth. So whole story associated with the Septuagint, uh, probably the key single factor is that the rabbinical school that was sort of born after the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, that school actually created what became eventually the Masoretic text. And the Masoretic text wouldn't be called really the Masoretic text for centuries, but by the fifth uh, or sixth century AD, uh, you had the Masoretes that were uh, basically copying and protecting the scripture from uh, copying errors. However, what few people don't realize is that in the first century, after the temple was destroyed early in the first century or second century AD, that the rabbis at a city called Jamnia, which is outside of today's Tel Aviv, um, began to make changes to the Bible. They began to change the Hebrew text, um, and they began to obscure the Messianic prophecies. They did this because the Christian evangelists were preaching uh, out of the Greek Septuagint, and they were, um, and the Greek was what the Hebrew people used as well in their uh, even in Israel, because that was the common language. Yes, the Pharisees would have used Hebrew, but, uh, but the more common version would have been the Septuagint. And, um, and so the, the Septuagint um, conveys more accurately what was in the authentic Hebrew that was compiled by Ezra in the 5th century B.C., and, and so what I did in Rebooting the Bible Part 1, among many things, but one of the main things I did is I did the comparison between the verses of the Septuagint and the Hebrew and, for instance, the King James Bible, which is based on the Masoretic text, yeah. uh, versus the English translation of the Septuagint. It shows that the rabbis did indeed change a lot of the text to try to make it more difficult to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And, uh, and so I put together, I think, a pretty strong case for that. And, uh, and then in the second book, I go into how that changes the history of the Old Testament, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, once you understand that the Septuagint adds roughly another 
1,500 years of history, not new stories, but just the dating of when these things occurred in Genesis 1 through 11, um, there's 1,500 additional years. And so, um, so anyway, so I'll, I'll stop there. The most recent book I will say, though, is a book we may want to talk more about tonight, which is uh, American Requiem, which yeah. returns me back to the prophecy uh, discussion and an area that I have been sort of a specialist in is, and, and perhaps a heretic of, is, uh, is believing that, the, uh, that Babylon, you cannot understand Babylon in the last days without understanding America's role as uh, one major aspect of Babylon. And uh, yeah. so that's what American Requiem is dealing with. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So um, in preparation uh, for today's conversation, uh, a, good, a good bit of my questions are on uh, Mystery Babylon uh, that you mm-hmm. I think dedicated about probably about four or five chapters in that book, too. Oh, yeah. So uh, I want to I dig in there. Um, sure. I want to kind of comment on, on what you've said so far. Um, it's interesting that you said that uh, the late great pan- planet Earth by Hal Lindsey had mm-hmm. such an impact on you because I had Jim Wilhelmson on here a few a few weeks back and he actually um i guess he bought that reluctantly thinking it was something else uh-huh. got yeah. to the invitation at the end and he that yeah. was actually you know how, how he came to know christ was that book um yeah. so it's interesting you know that um you know I've, and I've, I've listened to his interview like on coast to coast and it's just interesting to see how how huge of an impact that that book really had yeah absolutely i got to meet hal Lindsay when i was only uh 17 Oh, wow. He was in Oklahoma City at a Bible study, and a wow. friend of mine, uh, a friend that was kind of in a well-to-do family, he mentioned, he goes, you know who Hal Lindsey is? And I go, uh, yeah, I sure do. And so he, uh, so we cut, we cut class and went over to the Bible study, and uh, Hal Lindsey was writing his second book, The Lake, now see the uh, Satan is Alive and Well and Living on Planet Earth. And, uh, oh. and so I got to see Hal Lindsey, and he signed a copy of Late Great Planet Earth for me when oh. I was like 17. And oh. that's been now... 50 count them five decades ago so man, man. yeah yeah i've been meaning to go back and and read that because it's referenced so often by so many of like today's like bible uh prophecy teachers um right but yeah, uh dispensational teaching still follows it pretty closely yeah. and you know i i um i have modified my points of view on a number of things i'm still fundamentally though pre-tribulational pre-millennial uh, you know, a thousand year millennium and, and yeah. the rapture happens, uh, you know, before the, the great tribulation occurs and so forth. So, but uh, there's other things though, the seals, exactly when the seals occur and all that, that I have some different opinions on. And so I'm not, I'm not a, a completely perfectly dispensational uh, person anymore. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, still yeah. pretty close though. Still pretty yeah, close. Yeah. So I do have some questions about that as, as well that you kind of yeah. uh, talk about in, in your book too. Um, I'm sort of blown away uh, that you, you didn't actually start writing until two, 2010. About 2010, um, yeah. Because you've yeah. written so much. Uh, so that, 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 that's yeah. mind-blowing. Well, I'd get, it's kind of like reading all of your life and then all of a sudden it explodes, you know. <laughs> so, uh, uh, But yeah. it was what I always wanted to do. But I was so busy in the computer industry uh, you know, working for Bill Gates and people like that, uh, that, you know, kind of consumed all my time, of course. And uh, so at that point, I had, I had for about 10 years, though, I had been kind of on my own, running my own business. And, uh, and so I had more time to devote to what I really wanted to do, which was to write. 
And so, so I've been at it very steadily. I, I don't, I'm just not a happy person if I'm not writing, you know, it's like, yeah. well unto me, unless I'm writing about the gospel, right? Yeah. Awesome. Man. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Um, how, just curious, how, how, how closely did you work? Uh, did you work directly under Bill Gates? Um, I was really one level apart from uh-huh. him at the time. So I was pretty high up in Microsoft. Um, never got invited to Bill's house. That was, uh, you know, that was one of the goals, but I did, I did have uh, dinner with him amongst other people, but we sat by one another and talked a lot. So, wow. uh, and I've had, I had quite a few meetings with him. So I know the guy pretty well and uh, can interpolate a little bit of what Gates is doing now and his, you know, his actions and comments and I can't really explain his interest in Jeff, Jer, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, but well, I kind of can because he was always a womanizer. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, anyway. Yeah. Or hold my tongue, you know. What do you make of his like transition away from from software to you know what he's doing now with? Yeah. Well, I'm curious if you have yeah. any. Right. Well, there's several things. One is his father, you know, is on the board of like Planned Parenthood, and his father is you know really a eugenicist. Yeah. We sort of always believed in, you know, I mean, Planned Parenthood, if you, I, I, I've written about that extensively in one of my books called Power Quest, but it was essentially, you know, we basically want to stop all of the dark races from having children. And so we'll teach the dark races how to abort their, chi- their, their children. So yeah. it really was a, uh, a measure to try to, to stop the growth of the, you know, of the Black uh, and Latino communities in America. Uh, the Americans actually uh, led the way and a lot of the things that the Germans did, the Germans followed the Americans in many respects. Mm-hmm. And so I talk yeah. about that. That's one of the reasons why I think America is a lot more evil than, than most Americans do. But, uh, but anyway, so uh, mm-hmm. Gates's father, Gates Jr., who, it, who is, uh, you know, Bill's father, Gates is number three, he's Bill Gates III. Um, and, uh, but his dad's a eugenicist, uh, Gates, you know, Bill, you know, basically believes that, you know, someone asked me once, what does Bill Gates believe? And I said, well, Bill Gates believes in Bill Gates. <laughs> you know, so it's like, he's, yeah. he's the guy, you know, and so he, mm-hmm. uh, feels like that he's smarter than everybody else in the room. And so, um, you know, and so he, he, uh, he worries about these kinds of things and thinks about these kinds of things, but, um, he's not quite as bad as people portray him, but he's, He's, he's very arrogant and he's, I think he definitely follows in his father's footsteps relative to doing things like, you know, putting, putting chips into vaccinations. Uh, probably if, if, if he has it already, he probably would want to. Yeah. So, you know, so I think that that's, you know, his, his goal. I, I think though, this relationship with Epstein that he had, that's caused Melinda to, uh, divorce him or go through that process that that's going to be his undoing and it probably should be yeah wow okay all right well i'll try to um that was a bonus coverage yeah yeah i'll try to reel this back in i do want to ask you uh, a, a a question about the the rebooting the bible and i didn't really plan yeah. to speak about that but since you, you brought it up i was um you know i listened to a few interviews that you did on that mm-hmm. um and you know right now um most would put us at like 6,000 years. Um, that would be the standard view as it's derived from the Masoretic text and, and James Usher, the, uh, the Scottish scholar of the 17th century. 
Yeah. Say the world is 6,000 years. Septuagint would say it's about 7,500 years. Got it. Wow. Time of Adam. Wow. Okay. Um, okay, cool. So that, that, I guess that was my only it makes, question. It makes <laughs> a big difference because the, the, the Septuagint would, you know, the, the, uh, just to give people a couple of, of examples, the uh, Masoretic text, the King James would say that the flood of Noah occurred around 2300, 2350 uh, BC. The Septuagint would say it was a thousand years earlier, 3350 BC. And, wow. uh, and when you understand that and you sort of, you know, sort of stretch out the timeline, which I do in, in those books, especially book two, um, it gives you a completely different understanding of, of when each of these events occurred. And, you know, one of the more provocative things that I basically say is that if you understand the history, you realize that Nimrod could not have been the rebel leader at the Tower of Babel. It probably was his father. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. So I talk about those kinds of things and, and um, it makes a significant difference. And the other thing is that it, what it does is it then allows the Christian Bible, the, uh, the Hebrew Bible, if you were, would go with the Septuagint, which was based on the authentic Hebrew, I believe that uh, it coincides then pretty well with Egyptian Egyptology and the uh, and, and the uh, basically uh, archaeology of Mesopotamia uh, with a few corrections but essentially uh, all of the you know world history the archaeologists anthropologists they all believe that civilization civilization began uh, around 3100 BC well that's when the Bible says that you know that basically that you know the Tower of Babel event occurred about that time and and the nations began to spread. And so um, it, hmm. it corresponds, it corresponds. And so yeah. that, uh, that's one of the frustrations that, uh, you, you know, if you really understand what is being said by the Masoretic text, you, you can't reconcile the Bible with secular history. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, if you do understand it properly, you can. Yeah, yeah, I'm, um, I'm going to have to go back and and read that. I didn't have time uh, in preparation for for today. All right. It took me uh, took me ten years to write all this stuff. So you know you can't read it all that fast. But yeah, it still takes time. Yeah, yeah. So um, let's get in. Let's get into mystery Babylon. Um, and I, sure. I kind of want to just basically uh, get to the punchline and, and see if I'm understanding uh, mm -hmm. correctly. And you can sort of. Um, well, uh, I'll tell you where you're wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, please. Yeah, so I'm counting on you to kind of to, to, to right. let me know um, and, and, and correct um, any misunderstandings that I have. But sure, um, sure. You know, you, you you had a chart in there which was helpful. But you know, from my, from my understanding, you see uh, Babylon kind of like uh, three I don't three know, parts forms. Okay, yeah. and so we three, have three phases the, or three parts. Yeah, right. The daughter of Babylon, mystery Babylon, and Babylon the Great. Right. Um, so um, from what I gathered, the daughter of Babylon, you would define that as to as America today. Probably a little broader in terms of the Anglo-American, um, you know, sort of alliance, but predominantly America. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, my understanding was that that term daughter of Babylon, this was, you know, basically birth out of um, former Babylon and my understanding of Babylon the Great is mm. kind of that that callback um, to essentially what you'd call almost like like the spirit of Antichrist that we've seen that typified all all throughout different right. ages and, and kingdoms in the same way Babylon we see that 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 same kingdom all throughout that's going to culminate 
um, much like we we're, we're going to culminate to to one final antichrist. Right. In the same way, we're going to have Babylon the Babylon the Great be this new world order um, mm -hmm. that antichrist would then um, uh, come, from, come from there. Right. Right. And so, uh, and then the mystery Babylon would be essentially the the religion that mm -hmm. would um, that would bring the apostate uh, Christian religion. Right. Uh, that may be predominantly Roman Catholic, but not exclusively. Right. Uh, it could even be charismatic for those charismatics that are trying to meld uh, evangelicalism with Catholicism, such as happened a couple of years ago. So that would be apostate Christianity, too. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So, so cool. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Just to put a, a little bit more of a point on that, there. The uh, yeah, so the, the the three. If you want me to, I'll I'll go ahead and kind of play this out. Yeah, go ahead. All right. The the three. There's the daughter of Babylon that's talked about predominantly in Jeremiah 50 and 51, but you also read a little bit about it in Isaiah 47 and in Psalm. I think it's 137. If I'm not mistaken, but I can't remember that one. That's a minor reference there. Uh, Jeremiah 50 51 is the primary reference, and uh, and so the daughter of Babylon, there are many, many aspects of it that cannot be referring to uh, Babylon on the Euphrates, the old Babylon, um, you know, back in the essentially the, the fifth or sixth century, uh, eight or BC, <clears throat> Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. Um, yeah. That Babylon cannot be what's being talked about in Jeremiah 50 and 51. It has to be a different Babylon. All right. So there's this mysterious thing called the daughter of Babylon. It has a whole lot of attributes. Those attributes line up extremely well with the United States. They don't really line up with any other land, country, empire other than the United States. And that has been said that, you know, there's many evangelicals that uh, I'm not the first to say this. There are many evangelicals that have believed that the United States yeah. is this daughter of Babylon. All right now the 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 next Babylon and by the way I I believe that daughter of Babylon is is destroyed prior to the Great Tribulation period. All right, so that so I'm predicting that America will be destroyed. And it won't be nice. It won't be clean. It won't be pretty, and it's going to happen before too long. Yeah. Um. All right, and then Mystery Babylon really relates to the religions, the Christian, predominantly Christian religion that has been apostatized, which is not just Roman Catholicism, although uh, Roman Catholicism did a really good job at being apostate. Yeah. Uh, Dave Hunt wrote a book back in 1994, 95, called The Woman Rides the Beast. And yeah. he did this great expose of the Catholic Church and all of its, you know, all the killings and martyrs that it made of um, you know, the, the reformers and as well as the prior to that, you know, all the different Christian groups that it, uh, the Abyssinians and all these different ones that they, that they martyred. So, um, but uh, in modern times, the uh, mainline denominations are very apostate. There's some, always some good Christians in those groups. Um, I was, when I was growing up in the Methodist church, Methodist church had already become very apostate but there were a lot of great Christians in the church and, uh, and the young people of which I was one, we were campaigning to bring it back to a more evangelical point of view. So, uh, but anyway, um, that's mystery Babylon. The Babylon, the great is sort of a world system. And it's a world system that consists of politics, 
economics, finance, war, the military industrial complex. Uh, Babylon the Great is, is the world system that has existed as you were, uh, as you were articulating it. It has existed for, you know, 2000 years, 3000 years or longer. And uh, it is ultimately destroyed when Jesus returns visibly, uh, physically in the clouds and then to earth, the Mount of Olives, right? And, and at that time, Babylon the Great is destroyed. That's where we, we hear the hallelujah, hallelujah, Babylon has fallen, has fallen in the book of Revelation. Yeah. Right? All right. Now, <clears throat> why, you know, the, the thing that I pointed out that's kind of unique to me, and, uh, uh, you know, I'll pat myself on the back for this, but it's really, I, I would believe that it's the Holy Spirit that gave me some illumination here, um, is that there is Daughter of Babylon, Mystery of Babylon, Babylon the Great. The reason they're different, they all occur in the sort of last, I would say, 10, 12 years uh, before Christ returns. But they are different because they have different attributes. They are destroyed at different times. They're destroyed by different agencies or parties that destroy them. And, uh, and so when, they, when it's destroyed, how it's destroyed, who destroys it, they're all three different. All right. Mm -hmm. So to be more uh, you know, specific, the daughter of Babylon is destroyed by a, an alliance of nations from the north. Okay, and so we're not talking about, you know, just north of Israel, which is what a lot of people have said. We're mm -hmm. talking about countries from the northern hemisphere that probably fire missiles over the North Pole, which is what they would do to attack the United States. And it's, you know, the, the, the Bible says that it's like the, the arrows of an archer, that none of his arrows return, you know, without hitting the target, basically. And so uh, it's, it's conceivable that it's Russia. I believe Russia has the most superior nuclear force in the world today, uh, secondarily China, and even to some extent, perhaps North Korea. So I believe that's the alliance of nations from the North that will attack the United States and may attack Saudi Arabia and to some extent, London, but we'll see. All right, so that's who does it. That's, and they do it, I believe, slightly before I believe it's about 10 years before Christ visibly returns. And um, I'm not the only one to say that. Uh, Grant Jeffrey, um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of his first name, uh, Price. I can't think of his Randall Price. Um, Chuck Missler, uh, a lot of uh, Tim LaHaye. There's a lot of traditional yeah. prophetic scholars or teachers, we'll call them, that that's what they say. Now, Mystery Babylon is different. Mystery Babylon, the attributes are religion and apostate religion. It's destroyed by who? Let's see if I'll, I'll quiz you. Who destroys Mystery Babylon? Uh, Antichrist. The Antichrist does. That's right. Okay. The Antichrist destroys Mystery Babylon along with the Ten Kings. Right. right. So that's not, so there's, that's a different destruction than the destruction of the daughter of Babylon. All right. So, and that appears to occur not long after the antichrist has been revealed right yeah. so it's like the antichrist can't wait now that he's the antichrist he's going to go about the process of destroying the church i think you know it's very likely that rome may be destroyed rather than rome being the, the being the capital of the antichrist uh it's very likely that the antichrist will destroy vatican city he'll set up shop in jerusalem that will be where he 
becomes that's his capital will be jerusalem because he's the yeah. antichrist right and that's where he wants to stake his claim and there's a lot of background stories that we can't go into tonight that tend to reaffirm that all right and then so that's who destroys it that's when it's destroyed how it's destroyed is with fire that's what the bible says very expressly yeah. and then finally uh babylon the great is destroyed who, who destroys babylon the great you're on a roll now so <laughs> christ christ does exactly so he destroys it when he returns visibly uh to the earth and so uh so that's when it occurs that's who destroys it and it is destroyed by the breath of his mouth and so it's kind of like throughout the whole earth and yeah. anything that's visibly you know of of the uh, world system was likely to be more or less wiped out and the those of us that are millennials believe that the world will go through then kind of a rehabilitation and bringing it back to its edenic sort of quality if you will yeah yeah awesome um so you answered you know, a few of my questions there and you have this um you know i think it's probably more traditional that uh, people see the 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 alliance that you're referring to as the gog magog war happening like right. just prior to the you know that basically kind of like the kickstart to the tribulation yeah. the seven year you know uh, period um right. and i have, have a chart you yeah. saw you probably saw the chart in the back of american requiem which lays out the different scholars yes and they believe gog and magog is attacked yeah I, I actually wrote that initially in the book the next great war in the middle east where I was essentially explaining why it, I did not believe that the Psalm 83 war is the next great war. I believe right. that, you know, that's not love Bill Salas. He's a great brother, but I don't agree with him on Psalm 83. And then Joel Richardson, I love Joel Richardson. He's a great brother, but I don't agree with him on the uh, concept of the Islamic Antichrist because for him, the, the, the Islamic Antichrist is the same as Gog. It's the same as the Mati and so forth. And so there's only one battle for Joel Richardson, and that's that's at the very end when Christ returns. There, yeah. the Battle of Gog and Magog and the Battle of Armageddon are all one and the same for the Islamic Antichrist uh, point of view. Yeah. So 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 tell us when when you place the Psalm 83 war, and then and then also where you place Gog Magog. Right. Well, the Psalm 83 war, I believe, um, has been argued pretty convincingly. Chris White, who's done a lot of research, I don't agree with Chris on everything, but he did a good yeah. job. I think uh, explaining why the Psalm 83 war really was a war of King David. And uh, just as it's described in Psalm 83, all of the um, all of the tribes and so forth and where they're located, those were the wars of King David. Yeah. And, um, and so I think that that's when it was fulfilled. Um, um, there's really the only application to it to modern times you know, it's it's pretty general application, just saying that you've got nations surrounding Israel that will hate Israel and, um, you know, that they will create a time of Jacob's trouble. Right. Yeah. So uh, so that's you know, that's uh, the, the more specific enemies uh, really turn out to be Gog Magog, which really is a combination of either Turkey, Germany or, or Russia. I happen to believe it's Russia. And, um, but I also believe that Turkey and Iran, that they're involved. Um, I don't know about the other, you know, the other, other nations uh, in North Africa. Uh, there seems to be some indication that they might have, they might be involved, but, um, 
but it's mostly, uh, you know, the Gog Magog is predominantly, I believe, Russia and probably Turkey and Iran. And those, those nations come against Israel. Now, the point, the, 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 take, the point of view that I have is that right prior to Gog coming against Israel to fulfill the, the war of Gog Magog in Ezekiel 38, 39, is that uh, there is a, a missile a, a surprise attack on the United States, probably Saudi Arabia, because they're the enemy of Iran that'll be aligned with, and they already are with Russia, and, um, and possibly even London, city of London could be destroyed, uh, which city of London is the inner city, kind of like the Vatican is the inner city of Rome. The city of London is a financial district, just like Wall Street is a financial district. It actually, in, in London, it actually is a separate city, and it has a separate you know, mayor and, <laughs> and all of that. Mm. But it, uh, anyway, so uh, it's, it is probable that the United States is taken out just immediately prior to um, the, the move against Israel. It, and that would make sense. Geopolitically, uh, before Russia could, or Iran or Turkey could go against Israel, they would have to neutralize the West. Yeah. And they primarily neutralize the West by obviously firing missiles at the United States and, um, and attacking England that would pretty well do it and then throw in a few uh, missiles to not against Mecca, but against, uh, you know, the other key cities in Saudi Arabia and uh, eliminate the, um, uh, let's see, the Shia and the, I'm, I'm having a brain fart here in terms of, uh, <laughs> of the other uh, form of Islam um, that's, um, that's going on in Saudi Arabia. I can't think of it, Shia and Iran. But um, anyway, I'll kick myself later because I'm, I'm not thinking of it. But anyway, I think that's what is going to, is going to occur. And that would, would cause the, I believe that's likely to happen sometime before Daniel's 70th week. It could be a little before, it could be three years before. But to your point where you comment about that war sort of lays the groundwork for the Antichrist, that's what I would see in that the world will be in great turmoil. Not only will the United States be destroyed, but according to Ezekiel, Gog will be destroyed as well, and in perhaps a direct judgment by God against Gog um, and the armies that are on the mountains of Israel being destroyed, but perhaps also some of the major cities. So the Russian army will be taken out as well, as, uh, as well as Iran, uh, its army, and Turkey's army. So, uh, and that occurs, I believe, about 10 years before Christ returns, all right? And so then when the Antichrist begins to appear on the scene, uh, it is likely that there will be then the confirmation of a seven-year covenant of some kind, perhaps a uh, ratification of the Oslo Accords or something along those lines, and, uh, and the Antichrist will uh, likely not have declared himself the Antichrist, but will, in effect, uh, cement the treaty of death and hell that is talked about by the old testament prophets and uh, and so there will then be i think an opportunity at that moment for the temple then to be rebuilt and there will be some period of time there um, in which that can occur um, and so at about then halfway through the seven years that's when the antichrist reveals himself as the antichrist uh, performs the abomination of desolation in the temple, 
and um, and so then we're into the great tribulation. Satan's wrath, I believe, has has begun to occur uh, at at that midpoint of the tribulation period, and uh, with the destruction of Mystery Babylon and so forth, and uh, and then God's wrath begins to happen sometime in the tribulation, great tribulation period. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's for those that are pre-rathers, uh, that's, you know, when that would occur and that might occur five months. There's a, you know, the five months of the scorpion stings and all right. that it could occur. Then it could occur just after, you know, after Mr. Rab- Mystery Babylon is destroyed. So we don't know exactly, but it's in that same time frame in which those events begin to unfold. Yeah. Um, so you get this 10 year period because there's like a, a seven years after uh, Gog Magog where these weapons are being burned. And That's what you, right. Remind me of why is it you believe that seven year has to occur prior to the Antichrist uh, reveal? Well, the, 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 we know there will be a seven year period uh, based upon Daniel's 70th week. Right. At least the interpretation of, of most evangelical prophecy scholars is that there still is a week or seven years uh, yet to be fulfilled. Now, some argue that no, that Christ on his ministry was for three and a half years. And then when he was put to death, that was the first three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week. And all that is yet to be fulfilled is the next three and a half, the last three and a half years. And so there's, you know, there's some pretty good arguments for that point of view. All right. And, um, and so, but there is also then the verse we know in Ezekiel, where there's discussion about seven, takes seven years to bury the dead. And uh, I know Arnold Fruchtenbaum made the statement that it would be sort of unthinkable that we'd still be burying the dead in the first three years of the millennium. <laughs> and so it's, it seems likely that, 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 the, that the death of that army has to occur seven years before the millennium commences. All right. Yeah. So it's at least seven years. And then, right. uh, you know, and then, like I said, there's in terms of the sequence of events to unfold the way they likely have to, there probably has to be some period of time between that in which, you know, the world is in turmoil. It begins to look for this leader that comes on the scene. The United Nations, you know, finally puts together the president of the United Nations or whatever. And, uh, you know, perhaps that's, you know, someone that we know. Uh, we'll see, but uh, mm-hmm. I would expect that there would still be a large contingent of the of the U.S. Navy that would still be in existence. There's to be a large contingent of the British Navy and the armies that would be, you know, available. And so the Antichrist likely would lead uh, those uh, remaining armies of of Western civilization and prepare them for dealing with the kings of the East in, in the final battle, the Battle of Armageddon. Hmm. Hmm, okay, interesting. Yeah, so you see that that seven years uh, being before the Antichrist because well, not the full seven years. It may only be the Antichrist. The Antichrist appears to reveal himself clearly uh, three and a half years um, before. I I believe midway. You know, he he reveals yeah, himself yeah. in the middle of the tribulation. Now there are those that you know, depending upon when you believe the first seal. The first seal of Revelation. Do you believe that, and this is Revelation chapter six, do you believe that the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the first seal that the, the rider on the white horse, do you believe that is the Antichrist? Now, traditional dispensationalism does. Yeah. Right? And 
I, I don't. I tend to believe that those first four horsemen are events that have occurred throughout um, the church age, throughout the last 2,000 years. Yeah. And uh, the, the event, seal number five, is just dealing with the, the, the souls of those that have been martyred, that are under the throne, that ask how much longer before they are revenged, or God, you know, is basically uh, avenges himself and them on those that have put them to death. And he says, just a little while longer, there's still more to come out, you know, basically of this period. And, and then the seal number six occurs, that's the great earthquake. And at that time, that's when the, it says the kings and all the people basically run into caves and they say to the stones fall on us, who can withstand the wrath of God, basically? And um, it appears that, you know, this is, they use the, the phraseology, the day of the Lord at that mm -hmm. point in time. And so the question there is, is that great earthquake, the same great earthquake that is talked about in Ezekiel 39? And I believe it is. But that puts me at odds with the, um, the more traditional dispensationalist, because they believe those first four uh, seals are judgments and that those are judgments of yeah. God in the beginning portions of the tribulation. I think that's inconsistent with, with the way the whole book lays out, but you know, that's, that's my point of view. Gotcha. Yeah. So you think that, that event will, the sixth seal coincides with the rapture? Is that? Yeah. And that's, and that's why, you know, I, I place the rapture, um, perhaps as convenient, um, that I believe that when the Russians are firing the missiles, that uh, we may be raptured just as the missiles are coming down. So um, J.R. Church, uh, who was a, a great teacher, you may be a bit familiar with him, but uh, he, he said it may be that the, as the missiles are coming down, they nip at our heels as we're, as we're going up. Yeah. So. Yeah, and, and, and you place that seven years prior to the, the midpoint of the tribulation. Is yeah, that I, I believe that's, I believe that's right. It doesn't have to be. It's, it's just if this three and a half year pattern tends to hold, then one could conjecture that, you know, 10 and a half years before Christ returns is when, you know, the, the battle of Gog and Magog occurs and then when the rapture occurs. But you know, I can't, you know, I can't say they, it's the, the only thing I can say is that at this, at this moment in time, um, just as the, you know, the, one of the doctrines of dispensationalism <coughs> is the imminence of the rapture that could happen at any time. Yeah. Well, the, the reality is that Russia could attack the United States at any time. In fact, the longer they wait, the less likely it is that they will attack um, because they have a decisive advantage right now. And the question is, well, will they continue to have that advantage if they wait? Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me a second. Yeah, so it's my, my question was, I, I wasn't entirely clear as far as why there had that, why that, I mean, of course, you, you just said that it didn't have to, but, but why is it that you, that you theorize that that seven years has to come prior to, to the midpoint? Right, right. No, I understand the question. And, um, I, you know, I, I think that it just, it, it, it probably is just the sequence of events. You know, would the Gog Magog happen right at the uh, beginning of a seven year period? It could. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm gonna see if I can find a cough drop while we're 
doing this. Okay. Um, You're good. That is, I, I just happen to believe in terms of the way that geopolitics works, that it is likely that that is what will happen is that there will be a space of time between these events. And um, yeah, not finding, I thought I, I thought I put the I thought I put them out here for me so I'd have them tonight when I needed them, but I'll just, uh, I'll talk a little bit softer <laughs> and I'll drink a little bit more of my, of my Coke. <laughs> so, you so, so now I can't give you, I can't give you a crystal clear answer other than there's just some sort of circumstantial uh, things that are going on there that suggest that. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, you know, we know, we, I believe that it's pretty clear that the Antichrist uh, reveals himself at the beginning, the midpoint of the tribulation period. And, uh, you know, the traditional teaching, which I tend to agree with, is that Daniel's 70th week is seven years, and that the halfway through that, the 12,060 days, is when the Antichrist reveals himself. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. So I think I have like one more question that relates to this. Sure. Um, then we might, might switch gears a little bit. Um, yeah. So I'm, I was curious because I'm actually reading through Lamentations right now. Um, and so I'm, I'm thinking Daughter of Babylon. And I just, uh, like I said, I'm just curious uh, your thoughts on this. Um, in Lamentations, uh, we see the Daughter of Jerusalem. Um, and that uh, seems to like just almost be synonymous with Jerusalem. But I didn't know if you had an, an opinion on, on that. Well, yeah, I think it's there's a there's certainly it's a it's kind of a Hebrew poetic device. Even you know the the so-called the Son of Man, yeah, is the Son of Man. Now I I happen to think that Jesus was saying that in part because he was affirming, I was a human. I am a human. I was right. born fully human. But the uh, the Son of Man, the concept of of Son of Man is used you know in the Old Testament <clears throat> and by some of the prophets. And uh, it, but you do see like the daughter of Jerusalem or the daughter of Egypt or whatever, and it tends to just reinforce that this is a particular race uh, or nation or empire. The the reason that <clears throat> I I postulate that the daughter of Babylon is uh, a separate empire or nation or a series of nations is that there are all of these attributes in Jeremiah fifty and fifty one that identify a unique empire, the hindermost of nations, the hammer of the whole earth, a place where all of the nations stream unto, unto him, uh, a nation that, fight, that puts its home in the stars. Um, you know, there's something like, this is where like a J.R., uh, not J.R., um, R.A. Coombs and uh, John Price and others that have done some similar work to what I've done, <clears throat> they tend to count up the number of, of instances in which there is an identification of a nation or empire that is clearly the United States and it isn't ancient Babylon or yeah. future Babylon. Um, the, the nation that's on many waters. You know, the, the United States has more fresh water because of the Great Lakes. It has three oceans if you count the Gulf, yeah. uh, you know, so forth. So you got, you line up all of these attributes, which of course I do in the books, and, and you're hard pressed to say, mm, it's not really the United States. That's just poetic Jerusalem, you know, talk or whatever. That's just Hebrew poetry. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I don't think so. There's, that's where, if you believe in the, that prophecy 
is foretelling, not just forth telling, forth telling being, you know, basically preaching at someone, you know, and, mm -hmm. and calling them to account. That's forth telling. Foretelling is predicting the future. And if we believe that, that the prophets and that Jeremiah in this case was predicting the future, then, you know, he was not predicting Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. He was right. speaking of Babylon far, far into the future. Yeah, and yeah. It appears that that's the United States. Yeah, awesome. Cool. So I want to shift gears, like I said. Sure. Um, so I, I eventually want to get into CERN. I guess I have one more question. I did some um, prep on CERN. That's good. I did that. It's been a while since I've, I've done some work on that. So I had to go back and refresh my mind. It's like, yes, I wrote it, but it's been a long time ago and I'm 67 years old. So I don't remember everything that I wrote. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a, it's a fascinating topic. Um, so I just want to, you know, pick your brain on a, a little bit. Totally. Um, but uh, before, I, I guess this is somewhat related to what we were talking about. Um, I heard you mention, geez, I can't remember what program it was. Um, maybe it was Canary Cry. You sort of hinted. Oh, that's, it's been a while since I've talked to <laughs> Bessel and, and Gons. Yeah, it was it was on this subject, um, and, and and so I I am curious if you if you still hold this view. You you hinted, just kind of dropped in and never elaborated at all on a, a German Antichrist. So I, mm. I was just curious um, if that if that's something that you think is potential. There, there um, was a time where I thought that was a really good bet. Yeah. You know, uh, the mark of the beast and the German mark, uh, some of the uh, the iconography of Germany and the eagles and different things like that. But the eagle, of course, has been, you know, used as the United States and used in mm -hmm. Russia as well as yeah. in Germany. So a lot of, a lot of eagles. Roman, Rome used the eagle, so forth. Um, <clears throat> so, um, no, I don't I don't believe that at this point that we're likely to see a German. Um, it, it gets down to the geopolitics. You know, who is the most, what nation is the most powerful nation in the world today? Is there any nation that's even close? You know, so I heard uh, Tucker Carlson or somebody the other night say, well, you know, China has the biggest Navy in the world. Well, yeah, if you count all of the rowboats, you know, I mean, it's not, I mean, the United States has 20 aircraft carriers. China has sort of one. Russia has sort of one. And they have to use a tugboat to pull it around sometimes because it, it fails. Mm -hmm. So the United States Navy is <clears throat> far superior. United States Air Force is far superior. We're, we're not superior in nuclear weapons. We're slightly, we're probably equal in offensive nuclear weapons, we're, but we're not equal in defensive nuclear weapons, meaning anti-missiles. Um, and Russia is, is far, far, far ahead of us there. And that's really the, the reason why they might be willing to attack us first is because they have extremely good civil defense and, uh, and missile defense. Yeah. All right. Um, cool. All right. Well, thanks. Did, I answer, did I answer your question? Yes. Yeah. 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 You did. <laughs> so I, I think it's. I think that if the if if Christ, if the Antichrist were to appear today, he would almost certainly be. He would either be Prince William, Barack Obama, or <clears throat> a, a person to be named. Hmm. Yeah. Those are. Those are definitely uh, two figures that. That uh, people speculate on. You know? Yeah, for sure. I, I don't know, but it. I would just say that figures like that would be the kind of person that could be the Antichrist. Um, you know, there was a time where Obama was 
you know, an odds one favorite <clears throat> to be yeah, that, sure. but, you know, but um, at this point, we don't know. It's just that a charismatic leader that has uh, influenced the world greatly and that the world would, would find as worthy as of being the sort of one world leader, you know, that's the person that might arise. There's a good argument that it would be a king of England. Uh, and I, my wife tells me, I haven't seen this in the news, that, that uh, Queen Elizabeth plans to abdicate. Prince Charles will not be the king. Prince William will become the king. Hmm. So I haven't seen that, though. So I don't know if my wife was, <laughs> was reading something that wasn't the news or what. But anyway, that's what a lot of people have predicted, that William yeah. would become the, uh, you know, the, the, the future king. I always thought it was a little interesting that he was born on the summer solstice given that that occult from an occult standpoint is such an important date. Yeah. There's, there's a lot there. Um, yeah. yeah. But let, let's go ahead. Let's get, let's get into CERN. Um, okay. You did a book. Let's talk with, about a, a dramatic change. Yeah. <laughs> moving yeah we're, we're going to to physics, moving from primal prophecy to physics. Yeah. Sure. Well, yeah. I'm interested to see if, if there's a, if there's a connection there. Um, I'd be. Yeah. So uh, this is a subject that um, somewhat familiar with. I I've written a, uh, read a couple books um, where Tom Horn like dedicated a chapter each, um, and so I, I've I've read some about it there. Uh, I know Josh Peck had written a book uh, that Tom wrote a little bit of. Josh did most of the writing <clears throat> on. Yeah. Yeah, I've never read it. You know, I've never read a, a work uh, just dedicated to. You have it. not read Revising Reality. Is that correct? I've not read that. No, no, well, I heard. It may become your favorite book once you read it. <laughs> right now, it's going through the roof. It's selling a lot of copies. I don't know why, but it's uh, it's gotten kicked off again. And somebody, probably Anthony Patch, was talking about it or whatever, and it's been selling a bunch. So <clears throat> it's probably the most uh, it's it's my most over the edge. Uh, controversial provocative book that that uh, that i published yeah yeah well it's it, it's on my list but i guess for but the listener uh tell us you know what is cern um mm -hmm. and 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 if is there any tie-in uh to, to right. you know why, why is it uh, a point of it, interest there's some suspicious points Let's right all yeah. right so what is cern cern is a particle accelerator it was uh, envisioned as early as the 1950s uh it's a 27 kilometer or 17 mile uh, giant circle that's outside of Geneva, Switzerland. It's actually now multiple uh, particle accelerators. There's a linear uh, party particle accelerator and then this, this giant circular particle accelerator. The <clears throat> main work that was being done at CERN was to discover the God particle, so-called the Higgs boson um, uh, particle. And they believed that they discovered it. And uh, I'm not a physicist, so I can't say that they did, that they didn't. Yeah. The Higgs boson particle, supposedly the particle that gives mass to the universe, right? And, and of course, it's like, how can an infinitesimally small particle that we've never discovered give mass to the universe? Uh, <laughs> it's a pretty big universe. It's pretty solid. And so how did this one little particle do it? I don't know, but that's what they say. All right. So. Yeah. So the Higgs boson particle, and um, but the the what has been going on with CERN? There's the there's the story that's being told to the public, and then there's the backstory. And in the backstory, there's a tremendous amount of controversy as to what really 
is the goal of CERN? What is it that they're trying to do? Um, <clears throat> it's interesting that there is a significant occult uh, tie-in to CERN. CERN was actually built um, apparently at, the, at what was a temple to Apollo, which is sort of the Roman version of Shiva. Um, and Shiva was the, the god that creates and destroys worlds. And Apollo was the equivalent of Shiva. Apollo was a number of things. Uh, Apollo, Osiris, uh, Shiva, they're sort of the same god, <clears throat> but by you know, different, uh, different races, different, different civilizations. All right, and so there's the, the thought, Anthony Patch, uh, who was the, you know, our, my co-author, along with Gans and uh, Josh Peck, when we wrote Revising Reality, uh, back in 2016, I think it was, and uh, Anthony felt that that the abyss, the that the uh, the gateway to the abyss was really where CERN was, and that CERN was being intentionally located on top of the abyss, and that it would be instrumental in opening the abyss and letting out the um, the angels that had been trapped there since the time of of the nephilim genesis 6 yeah all right so <clears throat> yeah so that's one very significant tie-in all right um and uh there's a lot of dangers related to cern um the so-called gluon condensates the strangelets um that are these particles that are created as a sort of a i don't call it a residue but they're a byproduct of the CERN um, particle accelerator. <clears throat> There's other names for it. I'll just stick with that one. Yeah. That, one I kind of, that one I kind of understand. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the strangelets are, you know, heavier than uh, just about anything. They're they're stable particles, and once they're once they're created, they sink, and they sink to the point where they begin to lie at the center of the Earth, and the the view that I understand is that the strangelet is it's kind of like antimatter in the sense that it's the most explosive um, item in the universe. And these strangelets sink to the center of the earth, and then they begin to uh, attract the non-stable, which is kind of everything else, particles to it. And so the, the theory or the, the fear is that you get enough strangelets in the center of the earth and the earth just sort of collapses on itself, becomes like a black hole. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's one of the fears that's probably the least concerning because it's probably the least likely to occur. Right. The, the other factors associated with it, and stop me if I, I'm going through the dangers. Do you want me to keep talking about those things? No, no, go for it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, the other dangers, really the, the magnetic field that's created by CERN is so fantastic that it is way above what you could call the local gravitational effect of the earth uh, at that location. And so it has potentially significant impact upon the earth, uh, its magnetic field. It could really kind of warp the magnetic field of the earth. And as you know, and a lot of your listeners will certainly know, the magnetic field is what protects us from the cosmic rays, the gamma rays, 
and all that. So that, you know, if the sun decides to have a coronal mass ejection and just, you know, throw all of these particles out at, at practically the speed of light, which it can, normally the particles travel much slower than that, but they can travel very fast in a very massive coronal mass ejection. And if the magnetic field of the earth is not stable and in place and kind of operating at full power, then <clears throat> these particles could bombard the earth, knock out the grid, knock out you know, all of our electronics and more or less fry um, a portion of the earth. And, uh, and so could, could fry a whole lot of the earth. And so the magnetic field is, is really a safety net for us to keep us from getting uh, destroyed by <clears throat> solar um, activity. And there's all kinds of things that you can get into in terms of what might have happened to the earth 10,000 years ago, if you believe in a pre-Adamic race, and I do <clears throat> and believe that there, that, you know, I believe literally in an Adam and Eve that were created roughly 7,500 years ago. But I believe there was a gap from that point in time to maybe 2,000, 3,000 years before that, to where there was a civilization that produced the Egyptian pyramid, the Giza plateau, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. <clears throat> so I'm a gap theorist in that sense. Yeah. And I believe there was a, a race before that. It may have been partly angelic, run by Lucifer, perhaps. Yeah. We don't know. But you know that sort of occurred at that time. But the idea of what, what was it that attacked the earth that caused the, the civilization to die, basically. Could it have been uh, just a series of, of impacts, asteroid impacts? Possibly. Um, Robert Schock, who is a professor at Boston University, he's theorized that it was, in fact, solar <clears throat> activity, massive uh, corona uh, ejections or whatever, that pulverized the Earth and uh, basically caused civilization to uh, uh, virtually entirely collapse. Now, see, I believe that it did entirely collapse and that <clears throat> I believe that there was a flood, the earth was covered, and, the earth, and that flood had to be parted by the spirit of God, and right. dry land had to be made to appear again, right? So right. that's the gap theory. But uh, anyway, coronal mass ejections, the sun, that, that could happen. And so, um, you know, so toying, you don't want to mess with Mother Nature. You don't want to mess with the magnetic magnetosphere of the earth because it, it protects us. Um, and so it's worrisome what CERN might be doing in that respect. Uh, we, th there is a lot of theory that <clears throat> when CERN is switched on, that there's a resonance that creates sort of like a triangular pattern and sort of a, you know, the 60 degree angle from CERN uh, earthquakes could occur, you know, and, and on that part of the world. And there's supposedly some examples where that's occurred. So, um, so it could be, could be causing earthquakes. Uh, Anthony went so far as to speculate that the so-called Mandela effect right. was, you know, instituted by CERN. I don't go there. I, you know, I pick my conspiracies carefully. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, you can't, you know, if you buy into all the conspiracy theories, then, you know, you don't have any credibility at all. So you have to, yeah. have to pick your conspiracies carefully. So um, I think that there is something more to CERN and the, the, the next big thing talk about with CERN if you want to go there is the black cube and the black monolith and all of that stuff that's uh are you familiar with that at all no let's go there because that's that's new that's okay new well I'll blow your mind here all right so uh, you know put on your tinfoil hat okay okay 
All right. So the one of the great uh, secrets of the world is the tie-in between occult religion, pagan religion, and the black cube. <clears throat> if you were to go to Google and you were to do a, just a search on the black cube and look at pictures, you're going to see black cubes all over the world. <clears throat> My mind immediately goes to Mecca. There you go. Yeah. It's a black cube, right? Yeah. And it's um, interesting that when the worshipers are worshiping and they're doing the circumambulation around the black cube, that they're circulating around it in the same direction as the rings of Saturn circulate around the rings of, uh, of that planet. Yeah. All right. And so the question is, well, what's the tie in there? Well, supposedly the black cube is an occult symbol of Saturn. It's the sort of uh, another symbol is the black sun. Um, and so if you've ever heard of the black sun, the black sun, the armies of the of Hitler, of Himmler, the SS, they were worshipers of the black sun. Hmm. Well, and, and what it all boils down to the fact they were worshiping Saturn. And by worshiping Saturn, they really were worshiping Satan. And so there's very, very quick, quick, cogent connections between the black cube, Saturn, uh, the black sun, um, and, and the occult. <clears throat> and so you see that in many, many things. There's black cubes everywhere. Hollywood uses black cubes a lot. Uh, probably the most um, memorable example is not the black cube, but the black monolith of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Have you ever seen that movie? I saw it when I was, when I was really young. And so you wouldn't um, understand I much about like, it. But yeah. that, so you have to, oh, once you've read about all this, uh, you'll want to watch it again. Yeah. Um, the, when Kubrick and R.C. Clarke were doing that, they were basically, from what Anthony Patch tells me, they were led to theorize that this, what, what they would de need as the subject of their, of their story would be Jupiter, not Saturn. But in the book, and I've checked it, so I read the book, the planet is Saturn. <clears throat> that uh that the story revolves around not mm -hmm. jupiter which is in the movie right and so the black monolith was really uh, the black cube and the um that the theory was that the black cube was this godlike engine or machine or whatever that was causing humans to have our human intelligence our qualities and that we were being called forth from this gateway that was in, in the planet Saturn, all right? <clears throat> this gets into a whole lot of other stuff. Yeah. It gets into the electric universe, the Thunderbolts project. <clears throat> all these things are talked about, by the way, for the listeners, uh, in the book, Revising Reality, which I was the, I'm the publisher and editor, wrote a good set of it. Anthony Patch contributed chapters on uh on cern the saturn issue which is chronos um and he wrote some great stuff there and then josh peck wrote a couple of chapters on the nephilim uh shapeshifters <laughs> yeah shapeshifters uh gans wrote some work on on ba uh, on babel and uh and on um the internet and it's becoming sort of the the breathing beast like the internet becomes the beast itself almost 
And yeah. So revising realities, uh, probably one of the, like I said, it's more, it's, it's probably the most controversial book we've written, but it's also one of the most, one of the most popular because it gets into some of these really way out there ideas about things. And it ties in a lot of research that I did on the occult, uh, the brotherhood of Saturn, uh, the connections, it's the, 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 the darkest, blackest occult group in Germany. Um, and it, it really looks like that there's connections with CERN, <clears throat> the people that were, and you see that in the, like the European space agency, the European princes, when they were opening the tunnel, uh, in, in Switzerland, you saw all these pagan dances and so forth. If you go look at CERN and you look at sort of the dance of symmetries, uh, you're seeing all these pagan dances <clears throat> and themes playing out again and again. Europeans are really into their paganism. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I watched the opening ceremonies, and I I couldn't even hardly get through it. It's it <laughs> pretty it wild, isn't it? So, <coughs> yeah, exactly. uh, you know, it's 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 just paganism, unbelievable yeah. paganism. Yeah, so, it, uh, it's bad, and there, you know, I, I but I uh, I read in Daniel Holdings' book, uh, Midnight Strikes, that uh, the internet actually started at CERN. Is it you know if there's any validity to that? Not exactly, but close. The um, the the original concept of the internet was uh, it was done with DARPA, which is or originally was ARPA, the uh, Army Research uh, Advanced Research uh, uh, Department, more or less DARPA uh, now. And um, but they do all of the you know they're working on stuff that's twenty years ahead of where certain military things are they created the internet <clears throat> in such a way that if some of the nodes were destroyed due to atomic bombs or whatever, that the network would still be survivable. <coughs> Excuse me. And so it was really developed by the army and the United States. Now it turned out that the most vigorous user of the internet would, was CERN because they create such incredible amounts of data mountains and mountains and mountains of data every time they turn on the, the accelerator. And then they, they take all that. I forgot the number of servers that there's something like 10,000 servers or something at CERN. And, but this information is captured and then it's spread all over the world for studies by scientists that are doing these deep physics sort of studies on particle physics and so forth. And so it's, uh, it was one of the most aggressive users of the internet. And uh, so there is a, a very close compatibility or relationship between the internet and CERN. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, my mind sort of racing you talking about Saturn because I, I know, um, I think Derek Gilbert mm -hmm. hinted that he's actually writing a book now on the return of, of Saturn. And, uh, I think Tom Horn said he's going to touch on that in his like presentation for his upcoming uh, Defender yeah. Conference. Yep. And so, well, we uh, did some of the groundbreaking work on that, and Derek had us on his program back in 2017 or whatever. Yeah. And uh, did a really good interview. <clears throat> he's one of the best interviewers out there. And so, yeah. uh, Anthony and I and Gons and Josh, I think we were all on the program with Derek. Yeah. And, and so, it's definitely one that's still out there on the internet and can be seen. So, I encourage yeah. to watch it. The, the, uh, what I did with Anthony uh, is we created a, a pretty detailed PowerPoint and then Anthony and I walked through it um, 
in about an hour and a half, two hour um, video. And we actually, I actually have a DVD of it, uh, but you can also find it on the internet, splitting the two parts on the internet. Um, but the, <clears throat> the original uh, had over a million views. I noticed tonight when I was kind of going through it again to refresh my memory, uh, it had 641,000 views, but it, it's probably gotten 2 million views. It really is a um, kind of a classic uh, explanation of CERN, why it's relevant, ties in the whole issue of Saturn, the occult, uh, and so forth. So people that wow. are interested in this, will you'll want to read the book Revising Reality, and you'll want to go look for, you can find it. In fact, we'll try to post it maybe in your show notes. Yeah. Um, in the, the, it was done through the Lynn Liaz channel, but it was Anthony Patch and Doug Woodward and Lynn Liaz and CERN. And um, again, we'll try to see if we can find both parts, but it's also yeah. available on a DVD. You can get that, uh, you can order that from me. Wow, awesome. Uh, yeah, you're, you're definitely pitching that that book to me. I think I heard an interview uh, in preparation for this on that. And, I, you know, I'd already kind of had that on, on my list. Um, yeah, I had, um, I don't, do you ever, do you pay attention to George Webb? Uh, no. You don't know? Okay, I won't go there then. I had a sound bite that was kind of interesting, but but anyway, hmm. we'll move on. Had to do with revising reality. But hmm. sorry. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I guess that, you know, the only, only thing else uh, about CERN is I know, you know, I've heard that they're, when they're colliding these particles together, that they're opening up doorways and uh, you know, part yes. of, part of their, their goal is to, to communicate um, and, 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 and to get messages back, uh, you, you know, right. You come across anything like that. Oh yeah, sure. We talk about that and we talk about that quite a lot extensively in the, in the video. Um, there's a lot of mumbo jumbo there and um some of the stuff about opening dimensional portals and seeing what comes through and all that. I think I personally believe a lot of that is hokum and it's yeah. put out by the people that are at CERN hmm. and they say things like that is a, is a misdirection. Hmm. Um, you know, it, Hey, if you want to open a portal and let demons in, that's pretty easy to do. You don't need right. a $6 particle accelerator to do right. that. You know, it's Jack it. Parsons did it really well out in the desert, you know, out in the California desert, just uh, doing the, the Babylon working, you mm. know, uh, ritual. And he yeah. probably brought in, he may have been the guy that opened the door for the incredible amount of UFO activity that oh, happened okay. not long after that, 1947 and beyond. So it's, you know, that's why I kind of don't buy into that. Now, the idea of, you know, of communicating into other dimensions and all that. There's, this gets into, into qubits and quantum computing and what is quantum computing and why is it so powerful and what is the relationship between quantum computing and CERN and, um, you know, at the simplest level, it's just that the quantum computer can compute certain kinds of things a million times or even a hundred million times faster than a classical computer. And computers are in my background. I was at Oracle. I was at Microsoft. Yeah. So I know a lot about classical computer architecture. All right. <clears throat> but the quantum, the classical computer architecture is based upon bits. Yes, no. It's the switch is on or the switch is off. You know, it's one or the other. And bits and bytes and all that, that's classical computing. But um, 
it's good choice. So the, 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 the type of computing that we're talking about here, the qubits and um, the adiabatic diabolic processor and D-wave and all that, um, it's, it's different. And what is different about it is that instead of either an on state or off state, you have four states. You have an on state and off state, and then you have a spin one way and another state that spins the other way. And what that means is that there are states in which you can basically say there's a yes and there's a yes and a no at the same time, and there's a no and a yes at the same time, and there's a no at the same time. And so you have, by having these four states, it increases the magnification or amplification of, of the processing power <clears throat> of, uh, you know, of, of this type of computer, all right? Yeah. So the D-Wave created um, the first computer that had qubits. And qubits were these four state, uh, like qubits versus just regular bits. And so it was quad, quadric uh, binary. So binary, it was quad, quadinary. Four, four states. Right? Wow. So the, the, na the, the nature of that is important in terms of processing and understanding, trying to interpret the data that's being generated by the particle accelerator when it creates, because what happens essentially is the particles are going around and you've got all these sensors along this 27 mile thing and they're watching, it's like taking photographs, but like kind of like live action and it's watching for gamma rays being spun off, you know, and, and all these different particles being spun. And then it captures that information and then it stores it and then it broadcasts. It. And it, of course it happens just lightning fast by the, you know, the speed of light essentially. And, um, and so you, you, you require a certain type of, of computer power that a classical computer just can't, it can't do. And so, <clears throat> so that's where the, the qubit came from um and that's what this type of computing process is all about and it's tied as i said with cern now the idea of multiple dimensions i checked with anthony about this at the time and he confirmed with me that it's really not that we're saying that there are 500 you know it's two to the 500 power dimensions yeah. like height depth width you know, in time or the four dimensions of the universe that we know of, there yeah. probably are six or seven other dimensions that are folded inside these other four dimensions, mm -hmm. right? And so there's a lot of physicists now that believe that there's like 11 dimensions or yeah. at least 10 dimensions. Yeah. Some of that though is just mathematics. It's just to make the equations work out the right way they have to postulate that there has to be 10 dimensions. There are other scientists, like a guy named Kozarev, who's a Russian scientist, that he posited that there was only six dimensions and that that was all that was necessary. But it was, it's really dealing with the question of mathematics. And mathematics are simply trying to model what is. They don't really tell us exactly what is. They're just trying to model it. They're trying to interpret, interpret it, right? All right, so multiple dimensions, it's like if you've ever done an Excel spreadsheet and you got rows and columns, right? Yeah. Right. Now, if you reference another spreadsheet in this, your first spreadsheet, 
you know, you have to give a name to that other spreadsheet. Well, that giving that name and going to another spreadsheet, you're creating another dimension. So right. you got rows and columns, and then you got another dimension in this other spreadsheet. Well, it's kind of like this type of computing is is creating these multiple dimensions, multiple like computational things at the same time. And so it requires that kind of many dimensions to spread the calculations out and to make them all happen sort of simultaneously in order to reach a conclusion or to come up with the answer, right? So it's not really like saying we're trying to take, you know, space time, we're trying to split space time open and hold it open so some kind of demon can come through. That's the way that a lot of popular people want to talk about it, but yeah. I don't buy into that. I think that's, like I said, you know, if you want to open a dimension, you know, you can go perform a ritual and you could happen. It can happen pretty quick right. in terms yeah. of bringing a demon in, you know, from a supernatural dimension. So, yeah. so that's kind of what that talk is about. That's a different discussion than the issue of parallel universes. Um, yeah, you know, like multiple universes and are there multiple universes and all that. That's a different issue. It's not the same as parallel dimensions, is, which is kind of one of the things that's talked about with, um, you know, quad, quadra, I'm trying to think of the right, I'm not using the right term. Um, but anyway, this type hmm. of computing, quaternary computing, basically. Yeah. yeah. And so that's probably where you think that's probably where Anthony was theorizing with the, I mean, I, I too don't really buy into the, the Mandela, um, Mandela effect, but right. that's the tie in. Is that? Well, yes. And then the, the thing I've held off and I haven't told you that it wasn't clear to me whether Anthony believes this or this is an occult belief or even it's really an occult belief, but it appears that there is a cult, an occult belief that believes that at the center of the, of the planet Saturn, is a black cube <clears throat> you've got these weird things like at the top of saturn you have this hexagram at the top which is really created based upon the spin of saturn and then the little eddies and they actually create a six-sided hexagon at the top of saturn if you go google you can look at you know say hexagon saturn you'll see a picture of it on the bottom of saturn you see a spiral all right so there's yeah. definitely yeah. something going on in saturn that's a little bit uh, unexpected Right. Yeah. So the 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 theory, yeah, apparently the occult believes that there are beings from, you know, outside the Earth that are in the planet Saturn and that <clears throat> that some that that something's going to happen at CERN that connects CERN with Saturn. And through a Birkeland current, it actually grabs these beings and brings them to Earth. At the same time, it opens up the abyss and these angels escape. And so right. there's, you know, it, this is all part of the satanic plan to defeat Christ when Christ returns in the heavens. Now, I don't know that I believe that, but I can, I am repeating it because that's what I think some people have believed. And we write about it in, re, in revising reality. So it's a, it's an interesting theory. There's yeah, no definitely. question that the black cube is everywhere and that there is a very, very strong occult uh, back, backdrop to what's going on at CERN. Yeah, that, that is very interesting. Um, I've, heard, I've heard bits and pieces of that. I'm not, I've not heard that tie into CERN with Saturn. Right. right. I've heard that uh, 
you know, there's entities on, or, you know, people that have encountered entities uh, that they claim that they're from a moon. Often. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's back in the 50s, there was a guy that Van, Van Tassel or something that claimed that he had been, you know, met with uh, entities from Venus, you know, and of course, Venus is a pretty hot place to keep, you know, if you're an entity, you probably wouldn't live there. Yeah. 800 degrees centigrade or something like that. But anyway, uh, yeah. So, you know, you don't, you know, you can't put much stake in, in all of that, but yeah. there's no question that paganism, the black cube, Saturn, Kronos, the old mythology, the occult, uh, and CERN, that there's connections. Wow. Well, so, yeah, well, it, it's definitely, there's definitely enough connections there. Where there's it, enough there, there's some smoke, you know, there's a fire <laughs> there, right? So you read all about it in, uh, in the book, and, and you can watch the video uh, for free if you want, if you can go find it out yeah, there. You know, yeah. Send that to me. I'll, I'll definitely put that in the show notes. Yeah, and I'll, I'll try to. I'll try to send it to you. Yeah. You you pitched me on the book for sure. Uh, yeah. But uh, good. Yeah. So you've um, definitely we've given. Kind me- of dealt with. We've kind of dealt with CERN and and some of the mystical aspects of CERN and so forth. But uh, the main thing is that there's there's stuff going on at CERN. Uh, a guy named Joseph P. Farrell. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's a Oxford scholar, has a PhD from Oxford, but he's studied. At, physics extensively and and he really believes that there is there's other stuff going on at cern that deals with torsion physics um that's messing with the magnetosphere as i talked about yeah and um and it's and it's frightening the strangelets thing is kind of frightening too and you know these guys are messing with mother nature and uh, and it's likely to bite them bite us too yeah, yeah, you read about it. It it, it truly sounds like science fiction, or you know, oh, yeah. some like post-apocalyptic movie. I mean, it's 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 right. it's bizarre. It's it's uh, so so far out there. Yep. Um, <laughs> to happily, think- we, happily, I believe in the Bible's predictions for the last days, and and uh, while there is the while the abyss is opened, um, and the angels escape, you know, it may or may not have anything to do with CERN. We don't. We right. Don't know. Yeah. 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 You know, it's. It's interesting. Um, All right. So uh, I kind of want to shift to our our last segment, which is going to be more just personal questions that we'll kind of close out with that. Um, So you didn't ask me about about the Russians. You said you wanted to talk about the Russians too. um, Well, I mean, I I thought, I thought you you, covered it adequately. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at this point, um, the main thing, let me, let me make one comment. Go for it. I don't leave anything else. That right now, geopolitically, China is the real threat. However, from a military standpoint, Russia is the threat. And if it, if it moves towards, you know, if, if uh, Biden continues to be president, keeps poking Putin in the eye, you know, then it, it, the, the, the results could be disastrous for this country uh, because Putin has superior, uh, he has at least equal capability offensively, and he has through the, the S, not only the S-400, but the S-500, which is soon to be deployed, he has kind of an iron dome, that, you know, which is what Israel has, you know, um, protecting them from the small bottle rockets, the Palestinians shoot at them. But um, Putin will have an iron dome from the S-500 that will make it <clears throat> almost impenetrable by our nuclear missiles. And hmm. so he could, he could decide to do a surprise attack um or his successor you know if he 
is uh, deposed or whatever. So um, we don't know, but we have to watch carefully. And it's, it's not cool that the Democrats have been um, beating up on Russia for the last four years. Um, when, you know, our, right. our relationship yeah. with Russia has never been worse, not since, well, not since about 1987 or something in that time frame. And um, it's not cool. And the relationship with China, China is a regional threat uh, by itself. If it acts with Russia, it becomes an international threat, but it's, you know, predominantly a threat to uh, Australia, the South China Sea, Japan, South Korea, so forth, and Taiwan, of course. And so it's a challenge for the United States because we're on the hook to be the defensive shield for those nations. <clears throat> and so because Japan, South Korea, Australia, they all have some military capability, but it's very limited and it wouldn't stand up against China. Uh, likewise, Taiwan and so forth. So, um, but in terms of an existential threat to the United States, that's Russia. Russia is the existential threat, and that's why it's not cool. It's why you really want to be making friends with Russia. You don't want to be alienating them. Yeah. <laughs> so just tell, you know, write your congressman <laughs> and explain it that way, because I think, I think that the, uh, most of the, of the folks that I know that are reasonably conservative um, political analysts would, would tend to agree with me. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Uh... I, I, I can't I can't argue with you there. The country's crazy right now. The country is at a very crazy state. And uh, so American Requiem, you know, in the first few chapters of that, or the first, first chapter, I go into all of the reasons why America is on the brink. And that's certainly the internal problems that we have with Antifa and so forth. Uh, that's probably one of the, the scariest things that's, uh, that challenges us is just... Yeah squabbles and the potential civil war yeah yeah i think the Amer americans can, can can feel that i know uh um i read uh jonathan Kahn's harbinger and harbinger too i don't know uh if you have any thoughts that. on that but but you know he yeah. really makes a great case that uh america is is headed for a judgment oh yeah, um, yeah. so it's uh yeah he, he and i are in agreement <laughs> it's it's coming and yeah. uh, you want to be assured that you are um covered by the blood of the lamb yeah 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 absolutely i mean ultimately you know we could you can you can build a bunker and you can store up and and and, and i don't i don't think you know you're wrong to be prudent uh but ultimately our hope is 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 in christ i mean that's right. um well being a, being a, uh, in oklahoma up until just recently you know, it was always a good idea to have a couple of weeks worth of, uh, you know, K rations and things like that in case the tornado comes down and yeah. sort of wipes things out around you. You're like yeah. the city of Moore, which just completely flattened it a couple of times. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> but the idea of, of creating um, survival, you know, materials and so forth to last yourself several years, it's probably not a world I'd want to live in, uh, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, and basically if you're a Christian, you know, you got to share. If somebody comes and asks you to, you know, to share your food, you better. Otherwise, you're not a Christian. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. You know, so it's, you know, so there's only so much you can do. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's well put. Um, all right. Wow. Okay. So let's. 
So I touch on a lot of things as you as you can. I've written twenty books, and they all go in all different directions. Yeah, and for the listener, um, you know, you you've written on this extensively. You have a book uh, titled uh, "Is Russia Destined to Nuke the U.S.?" Um, so, you know, there's, um, and I'm, I'll, I'll link to your site. And so anyone that's interested in any of these topics, right. you, you've written on them extensively. Right. Um, but, uh, but let, let's, let's shift gears, um, sure. kind of, kind of move to it, to, to a lighter note. And, uh, these will just be personal questions um, we'll start with a favorite, favorite book of the Bible, character of the Bible and verse of the Bible. Okay. Well, let's see book of the Bible. I like the book of Hebrews a lot. Um, great analysis, you know, understanding of, of the Old Testament, the, yeah. you know, the Christ is greater than the angels, greater than the law, greater than Moses, and so forth. And uh, in understanding uh, all of the different points that's made by the writer to Hebrews, and I believe it was Paul. Yeah, everybody does, but I, I tend to. Um, <clears throat> but I, I find it a challenging book. Um, and uh, it was a book that made it into the canon, even though the authorship was not known, which was one of the criteria to be considered a canonical book. Uh, yeah. But it was loved by the church so much that it was like, well, we got to include that book. It's just too good. You know? yeah. So uh, the book of Hebrews. Uh, favorite character. Uh, I'm intrigued by Joseph. Uh, not Joseph, the husband of Mary, but, but uh, Joseph, the son of, uh, of Jacob. Yeah. Um, for a lot of reasons. Um, the... Um, the work that uh, Timothy Mahoney's done uh, on the the uh, the you know the pattern uh, ev- let's see was it evidence pattern patterns of evidence patterns of evidence the movies he's done on the Exodus and uh, the research that he's done on Joseph and uh, Joseph uh, possibly being the actual inventor of uh, our alphabet um, wow. the, or the phonetic alphabet the um, yeah, the, the first time that instead of a <clears throat> picture, pictorial lang- uh, language or writing, such as the hieroglyphics or the cuneiform, which was done in Mesopotamia, it actually, he actually created the characters. It's, it's argued by Mahoney, and I think it's a pretty good argument yeah. that he created the characters that were, they were pictograms as well, but in creating the old Hebrew or the, what was known as the Western Semitic original proto language you know uh that eventually hebrew came from and the phoenician language came from and all that that joseph probably was the one that created it and according to my timeline he would have created it around 1800 bc something like that and um and so it was the the basic language that that was used obviously by moses later uh you know several hundred years later and uh and it became the language of you know latin of hebrew obviously yeah greek uh, all the languages you know the alphabets they you know alpha uh, a b c d alpha beta uh, gamma delta and uh and, and the hebrew the first four letters of, of hebrew uh aleph beth uh something deleth is the is the d you know they they all follow even abracadabra is ABCD, you know, so, wow. uh, you know, so all these languages ultimately uh, have an alphabet that's based probably on what Joseph did. Uh, Joseph, uh, you know, was very smart guy, created a way for the Pharaoh to basically take control of, of all of the country of Egypt. So, um, you know, just his, 
And of course, he had so many parallels between himself and the life of Christ that yeah. he was a, a tremendous anthotype, as it's called, a foretype of, of, uh, of Christ. So he's a great character. Favorite verse in the Bible. That one's tough. You know, there's a lot of great verses, obviously, a whole bunch, the whole book full. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of the verses that I tend to, you know, remember the most. I remind myself the most. Um, you know, probably um, no temptation have taken you as such as is common demand, but God is faithful and he will not uh, basically test you above that which you're able, but will of the temptation uh, create a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Yeah. yeah. That's a pretty important one to remember just when you feel like you can't stand it any longer. You just say, nope, that's a promise. Yeah. I can stand it. I can bear it. Yeah. So that's a pretty good one. Yeah. I love that. That's not the only one. I like that a lot though. Yeah, absolutely. Um, cool. Uh, what about favorite uh, movies, TV shows, music, and books? Okay. Well, favorite favorite movie. I, I'm an Indiana Jones fan. You know, cool. Archaeologist stuff. Yeah, I sort of have a man crush on, uh, you know, not on Harrison Ford, but on Indiana Jones. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, you know, love love that. That just just great stuff. You know, uh, Indiana Jones: Last Crusade, one of my favorites. Um, yeah. But uh, anyway, so that's probably, you know, that television show. I really love the X-Files. Chris mm -hmm. Carter so understood so much of the X-File lore, UFOs, and he was so plugged into so much of that, that um, he conveys a lot of, of the, of the uh, sort of UFO culture very effectively mm -hmm. in the X-Files. So yeah. I liked it a lot. Mulder and Scully. Yeah. Um, so what was the last question? um TV shows music, music and books oh books um oh, books God, that's great i'm looking i'm looking over at my books deciding which ones i i would point out are some of the best um a lot of the joseph e Farrell books are great uh because they they do this sort of nice analysis of the re, the relevance of uh of the nazi movement the not you know nazism and its impact upon the world uh, a lot of that became sort of the background of the work I did on in my books, Power Quest One and Two, which is really the the fundamentals underneath uh, the book, The Final Babylon and uh, American Requiem and so forth, yeah. which really understanding that the that the Nazis infiltrated America thanks to Alan Dulles, the uh, one of the early heads of the CIA, and uh, and had a, just a catastrophic effect upon American foreign policy, American social sciences. And, uh, and really giving birth to the concept of the Manchurian candidate and the pain and agony inflicted upon so many children in our country from uh, what was done to them as part of mind control and MK Ultra. So, uh, so Farrell, a lot of his books are, are great. Um, yeah, so I'll just, I'll just, I'll go with that, you know, as okay. a, you know, he, he doesn't necessarily agree. He doesn't necessarily appreciate my books, but I appreciate his books. I'm too evangelical for him, right. which is ironic because at one time he taught at Oral Roberts. So <laughs> go figure. Yeah. Uh, music. Oh, God. I love music. Just to have a guy say, I like all kinds of music as long as it's good. So, uh, but yeah, I, I uh, you know, I can listen to heavy metal. Uh, I can listen to classical. Um, I'm not necessarily one of those guys, although I understand why, you know, the devil loves rock and roll and, and why it can be, um, very harmful to yeah. a lot of folks. I still, <clears throat> I can, 
still get into some of that stuff yeah. and uh, don't feel like I have to repent afterwards. Right. But, yeah. uh, but, but I, I love, I, I'm kind of, I like Dixie chicks. Probably I'm, I'm more interested in uh, lady a uh, lady, uh, lady Annabellum. Is that it? Yeah. Like right, sort, of, yeah, yeah. sort of country guy sort of like yeah, that kind cool. of stuff yeah cool um all right uh what do you like to do for fun well i used to like to play golf but my back has gotten so bad mm-hmm. in the last few years that i've had to give up golf so which has probably been okay because it gave me time to write so i didn't go i don't go out and hit golf balls anymore um and so i'm sort of living vicariously through my grandson who's now five years old and hits the golf ball like tiger woods did when he was a kid wow um and uh, so uh but you know i love to read i i am a t- i'm a tv nut and a movie nut so i used to have a when i was at microsoft and i made a lot of money back in the old days before the stock market crashed a couple of times uh i had a great big home theater and and love to have people over and when my kids were growing up we have their friends over to watch movies in our big home theater and yeah yeah, so that was uh, that was you know so I'm definitely a movie buff for sure. Yeah, yeah, me and my wife are as well. I mean, we're in like our our TV room right now. Oh yeah, okay, cool. So so yeah, we 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 have that. Um, we're alike in that way. Uh, Good. This will be the last question. We're alike in a couple of ways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last question: Dinner yeah. uh, with five people, dead or alive? Who All would right. be? Five people, and I could pick out the five people that I wanted to have dinner with. Yeah um okay well that's cool well i've once answered that question with saint athanasius who was sort of the father of the trinity and was the uh kind of the key brain at the nicaea the council of nicaea helping to formulate the trinity and, wow. and uh, the, you know so he would be he'd be a guy that i'd, I'd like to have at dinner uh yeah. indiana jones not harrison ford but indiana jones i'd be like to have him at dinner cool uh see can you have a woman at dinner as well as a man yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's see. Well, uh, I'm trying to think of, you know, who that who that person might be. Uh I'd be fun to have Marilyn Monroe, someone, you know, from Hollywood. Yeah. Back in the old golden age of, of Hollywood to find out what it was really like back then. Um she'd you know. be very interesting to talk to. <laughs> yeah, so so I have uh some interesting people, probably someone from the military. Actually, maybe Alexander the Great. I couldn't speak Greek, but I speak it speak English. It, he yeah. would be a fascinating guy to ask him why he felt that he had to go conquer the world and do it all in about seven years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he would he would be a good guy to uh, to talk with, and um, hmm, and then probably um, I'm trying to think if there's any American political figure that you know. Well, probably you know someone like Abraham Lincoln or George Washington. I'd probably favor George Washington over Abraham Lincoln. You really yeah. trying to understand what was really going on back in those days and uh you know how Washington did it. Yeah. Know. Wow, man. That that's that's quite the answer. Quite the uh, eclectic group there. Oh, uh, well, it's you know, it reflects on the fact I'm a pretty eclectic kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah, you really went for a lot of, a lot of different interests, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's that's awesome, man. Cool. Um cool. Uh all right. Well, um We've had some fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I really enjoyed this. Um, I'll give you a chance to, you know, like ha- have any closing thoughts, um, uh, you know, tell people how to get in touch with you, um, your website, yeah. how, to, how to buy your books, uh, and then you can right. take that in prayer. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. I'd love to do that. Yeah, so you can, uh, my website is faithhappens.com, faith 
happens.com or you can uh, reach out to me through doomsday doug which is my mark marketing monitor a moniker uh but faithhappens.com is a good one um you can find my books there uh, and I'll sign the books. If you buy them for me directly, I'll sign them for you. Okay. Um, and then uh, you can buy books from me, though, or, for, or from books I've written from Amazon um, or uh, Lulu, but mostly Amazon. And then you'll find the Kindle books, the eBooks uh, there. And all of my books, except one or two, are Kindle books as well, cool. and uh, including the Rebooting the Bible books um and american requiem the latest book is a kindle book as well and um and so let's see so uh you can find my books there um uh, you can write to me if you want to i i don't have that many people that write to me so feel free if you want to ask questions or whatever just uh, send a note to doug at faith happens.com um doug at faith happens.com and if you have one of my books my, my mailing address is in there as well um and uh, i'd encourage you to go out and look at uh, look at all the books I've written to see if there's something that interests you. The, one, of, one of my favorite books is a book I wrote on the planet Mars. And uh, I wrote a book on the planet Mars to, to sort of talk about the history of the, uh, you know, the ancient alien kind of thing and how it really yeah. began, you know, about 1850 and kind of trace the history of that and its influence, planet Mars, its influence on our literature and our culture. Yeah. And so I think you'd enjoy, you know, you might enjoy that book. It's one of my favorite ones to write. Yeah. So uh, anyway, so uh, final thoughts, prophecies, where it's at. Um, you need to stay current on what's going on in the world. And uh, so I'd encourage you to look at some prophetic books uh, from yours truly. Uh, Tom Horn's written some good stuff. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, a good book that's been written recently by Colonel David Giamona uh, and Troy Anderson. Um, they've written a book that's basically uh you know battle ready getting battle ready for uh what's coming down the pike so mm -hmm. i'd encourage you to look at that look at that book and uh giamona wrote the forward to my most recent book and um so other than that maybe we have to say a prayer yeah yeah right on yeah cool heavenly father thank you for the opportunity to have this great chat with samuel and praise that pray that that the the words that we've spoken and the concepts the ideas will be of uh, real benefit to those that listen in. Um, and I pray that um, that a lot of people will listen and that you'll help Samuel to continue to grow his uh, his show and his reach and outreach to folks. Uh, pray that you bless his life, bless his, fam bless his family, and, uh, and that you keep uh, a special eye on him and keep him encouraged. Um, and we thank you for the listeners, those folks that watch. Uh, we pray that you would bless them and uh, keep them. And uh, we look forward and, and we pray that you'll bring us all home safely to you soon, uh, very soon, soon and very soon. And we pray this all in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Good. Thank you so much uh, for, for coming on. Um, yeah. I'd love to have you back on some time. You know, like I said, I've got a couple of your books on my list of, of reads. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, well, I'll, I'll send you, be sure to send me your physical address and I'll send you a book or two just as, oh, a, right on. For, as a thank well, you for uh, hosting me on your show. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, honestly, I, I, I was honored, man. I really, uh, really enjoyed this. That's a good time. Yeah. It helped me to get me kind of re, you know, back into this. Cause I, yeah. like I said, I, I've been moving and unboxing and that's tiresome stuff. So I'm glad to, to be moved. I'm, I'm now uh, in the Minneapolis area 
and I'm here because my daughter's here and my grandson is here and uh, he's just turning five here in the month of June. So uh, we're here to help out and, mm-hmm. uh, and we're excited about being here. So uh, I'm, I'm more excited about the summer than I am the winter here, but um, I'm sure we'll get used to it. <laughs> yeah. I hope. I hope. Yes. So anyway, It'll be a lot different than Oklahoma. Uh, it sure will. Yeah. All right. Well, we did live in Boston for a while, or that area, so we we have been around in some cold weather. Okay. People, yeah. You know. Hopefully, we can get uh, the blood can thicken again. You know. Yeah. So, anyway, so, all right, man. Well, thanks so much, and and God bless, and we will stay in touch. All right. All right. Awesome. Good deal, man. All right. Very good. All right. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Make sure you like, subscribe, rate, review, share this with somebody you know. And if you have a suggestion for someone that you want on the show, you can email me at theweirdchristianpodcast at gmail.com. So with that being said, we'll catch you on the next one.